Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. Today on the California Report magazine, we're going to hear personal stories from healthcare workers across the state, people who are on the front lines of fighting coronavirus. We'll meet a doctor who sounded early warnings about the pandemic and then got sick. I'm most surprised uh, by how long this bug has lasted. And a worker who takes care of a patient at home. She's been fighting to get masks and protective gear, and she's exhausted from long shifts. My body in the morning sometimes tells me don't get out the bed, but I have to keep going. I I have to. I love what I do. I love helping people. Plus, what it's like for the children of healthcare workers who barely get to see their parents these days. I promise it's gonna get better. I miss you, Mom. I miss you too, baby. We love you. I'm Sasha Coca, and this is the California Report magazine. Your state, your stories. We're going to start our show today by hearing an audio diary from an ER nurse in Alameda County. His name is Douglas Fry, and he's been recording his reflections for us over the last month or so. Douglas's wife takes some medication that affects her immune system, and he's worried he could bring coronavirus home. So she's staying with her in-laws a hundred miles away from him and from their two teenage sons. Douglas starts his diary by sharing what the ER looked like about a month ago in the middle of March. As that week went on at the clinic, we we were just hustling, hustling, hustling. And, you know, you'd turn to your colleagues and just be like, God, I can't believe this is happening, you know. And we're having to stop people at the door and that everyone at the door must be stopped before they come in. Lots of little things happening, like, you know, the front desk woman had an argument for 10 minutes with a patient that he didn't have an appointment. And finally, after that, he said, I've had contact with COVID and I'm coughing and I have a fever, you know, after a 10 minute face to face argument. So there were just so many possible breaks in the infection. I I came home after a day of like working and struggling to find protective equipment for my coworkers. And I realized that I just spent like an hour and 10 minutes pressure cooking water, oil, and salt. And I forgot to put the beans in. And it was all I could do to not feel like it was reflective of my emotional state, but I knew that it was. After all the stuff I'd done all day, I was making dinner at 10.30 at night and just exhausted. And um, what I wanted more than anything was for my boys to just be able to be boys and not have to face the reality that it looks like we're facing. And so, you know, I was struggling with that and um, did have a really good talk with them about about what's going on that, um, you know, I'm working really hard, putting everything I can into this and that we are preparing for a war right now. 
I went into the emergency department on Sunday. I was designated to be the resuscitation nurse. I found myself sitting in this room with this gentleman who I believe had dementia and was Cantonese speaking and, you know, was in very, had very poor health. And I sat down and just meditated for moments. And I felt like, and this is all that I can do. And I'll be with this man in this moment. And it feels quite literally like we're standing at a shore watching the water recede into the horizon as far as we can. And there's way more beach than has ever been exposed. And it feels like we're the lifeguards left at the beach while everyone able bodies running for the hills and the high ground. And we know from where this is hit, there are going to be a lot of people who don't make it and, and are washing around when the waters come. And we're going to be here ready for them as best we can. We've checked our equipment, we've done all our checklists, we've ran through scenarios, and we're ready to work with what we have. I think pretty soon we'd gladly trade what we're facing for just having anticipation and anxiety once again. But um, for today, it's a slow, quiet day. That was Nurse Douglas Fry. He says his emergency room has gotten busier recently. But he's cautiously optimistic that sheltering in place is working and they won't see the huge spike they've been afraid of. His story was produced by KQED's Leslie McClurg. Since both of my parents are in the medical field, there's just so much tension between everybody in our house. We tried to not talk about COVID at home, kind of avoid it, because then we talk about it for the rest of the night and then it just gets to be no fun. Yeah, I worry that he's going to get the virus and, like, he won't survive. He can't say it's going to be okay because if it's not, he'd be lying. Those are just some of the children of frontline healthcare workers who shared their stories with us here on The California Report. I was particularly struck by a pair of teen siblings from Clovis near Fresno. Marina Rocha is a senior, her brother Marshall a sophomore. Their mom, Tamu Bustos, works as an ER nurse at Highland Hospital in Oakland. She sleeps in a trailer when she's in the Bay Area, but when she gets a day off, she makes the three-hour drive home to see her kids. With coronavirus, those visits have gotten tougher. I love to, like, give her a hug and make sure she's fine because I'm I'm a mama's boy. I love my mom. She's really sweet, kind, and amazing. I really don't know what I would, like, do if she got hurt or sick. Obviously, we couldn't touch each other. We can't give her hugs. She always says, I don't want to put you at risk. She doesn't want to come into the house at all. She's trying to limit how long she sees us and how much. Like the last two times, we only got to see her for roughly an hour. Marina and Marshall's dad is home with them when their mom's away. Last time they saw her, they noticed a change. Her eyes started to bag and darken. You know, it's clear she's not getting as much sleep. She looked like she lost a lot of weight, you know, from stress alone. Anytime they do see her, they stay much more than six feet apart. We went through like a sonic drive-through. We sat in our cars. I rolled down my back window. My younger brother sat in the back seat. She rolled down her passenger window. We talked to from our cars, you know. We walked to the school that's right down the street from my house. We sat on one side of the stadium. She sat on the other. You know, we had some breakfast together. Last week, Marina celebrated her 18th birthday. Happy birthday to you. 
No big party, but her mom got a day off work and stood far away wearing a mask as Marina blew out her candles. Make a wish, blow out your candles. Marina won't get a high school graduation this year either, but all those milestones, she says, don't mean as much as they once did. We get to hear all the horror stories of the ER room, you know. You know, you realize this is not something to joke around about. There are people who actually don't get the same opportunities you do. Marina and Marshall say they're worried about their mom, but they know she's one tough cookie. In all honesty, the best words I can say is hard ass. The joke with her has always been, you know, it doesn't matter if you start to bleed or you break a bone or whatever, you just put a Band-Aid on it. But at the same time, she loves us and she tries to be there for us. We have a more real connection. We have a more real perception of life as well, you know? Say, like, on the topic of, of death, we already know what she wants when she dies. And it's a, it's a very normal conversation for us. That's what we expect. We can talk about things like that because that's what she faces every day. When people ask you if you want to be a nurse, what do you say? No, 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 no. I value sleep. I value sanity. <laughs> Are you sleeping at night? Not really. You know, laying in bed at night, all the worst case scenarios that could happen to your mom, you know. Hi, guys. Hi, Mom. Hey, Mom. How are you? How are you doing? When do you think you'll be coming back? Oh, no, honey, we gotta, I want to make sure you're safe. I don't want to potentially bring something home that you guys They talk to their mom every day on the phone. This will be all over soon. I promise it'll, it's going to get better. I miss you, Mom. I miss you too, baby. We love you. I love you too. I love you both very much. We love you, Mom. Sorry. sorry I'm gone so much, but it'll be done soon. Hopefully. Hopefully things will get back to semi-normal soon. I miss you, Mom. Marina and Marshall have different ways to take their minds off things. I do a lot of woodworking. I'm working on a turtle. In the future, I want to make mom a frog because she loves frogs. Yeah, while my sister does that, I like to either listen to music or play games with friends because my friends know what I'm going through, (laughs) helping me like get through this and making me feel like she's going to be okay. Is there like a song that's like kind of you're in your mom's song that you listen to? That's Life by Frank Sinatra. It's basically talking about, yeah, there's there's a lot of problems in life and it'll beat me down, but I'll still stand up and keep on fighting. That's life. That's life. That's what all the people say. You're riding high in April, shot down in May. I view my mom as like that. No matter how bad things get, she still tries to fight and do good for my family. Back on top in June, I said that's life. Marshall and Marina Rocha from Clovis. Their mom, Tamo Bustos, is an ER nurse. Some people get their kicks stomping on a dream. But I don't let it, let it get me down. Cause this final world
As the death toll from COVID-19 continues to climb, a lot of the practices doctors usually rely on to ease the dying process are just impossible right now. The California Reports health correspondent April Demboski has a profile for us of a doctor who's trying to come up with new protocols. He's the founder and director of UCSF's palliative care program. Steve Pantelat was in medical school and residency training in San Francisco at the peak of the AIDS crisis. While that was a different type of pandemic, there are a lot of echoes of that, of, of an illness we can't treat, of people dying a lot. Back then, health workers knew they could contract HIV from accidental needle sticks. The risk of contagion with coronavirus is so different. In this situation, recognizing, wow, you know, anybody can get sick like this. Like, I could get sick like this also. Compared to AIDS, this is much more personal. My wife and I are both in our 50s. That is a higher risk group for serious complications, including dying of COVID-19. In our house, at least, we think about this a lot because of the work that I do and my wife does. But it's much more tangible now. Pantelat's wife is also a doctor. She's been on the front lines in the hospital caring for COVID patients. She undresses in the garage, leaves her shoes there, wipes everything down, including the car, her shoes, her stethoscope. She comes into the house undressed. All the clothes go directly in the washing machine. She goes to the shower first thing. We then wipe down every doorknob and surface that she touched on the way in the house. Uh, and then, you know, we, we say hello. Pantelat, on the other hand, has been protecting himself and his team by working almost exclusively from home, doing his consults over video. While doctors would normally sit on the side of a patient's bed and hold their hand when delivering bad news, now all patients have to hold is an iPad. This is hard for Pantelat, who's made it his life's work to honor people's last wishes. You know, I've been in rooms, there are 35 family members. People are playing music and holding a vigil and saying prayers and singing and, you know, even having weddings in the hospital. But in the age of coronavirus, all that is out. There's too much risk of visitors getting sick and there isn't enough protective equipment to go around. So the new policy at UCSF is one visitor and only for patients who are actively dying. We've never really faced this before of trying to make these really kind of gut-wrenching decisions about visitation and when and who and how many. So many decisions like these are rushed right now. In some cases, COVID can progress so fast, there's not enough time to talk with patients about what they want for the end of their lives. Pantelat says we should all be having these conversations with our loved ones now. Some of us who might not have thought about these issues and thought, oh, I got a lot of time before I have to worry about this, are suddenly facing the reality that you could get suddenly sick and suddenly very, very sick. Pantelat says, just in case, we should all be saying our goodbyes. No harm in saying I love you and thank you and forgive me and I forgive you to the people you care about at any time. It's a really good time to do that now. But not all doctors take their own advice. Good friends of ours sent us uh, this sort of letter about, you know, if both of them die, asking us to be sort of official godparents to their three children. Do you, do you both have wills? Do you have a plan for your 16-year-old? Uh, 
We don't. It's uh, it's a little embarrassing as someone who deals with people, who takes care of people who are seriously ill to say that we don't we don't have a will, but we don't have one yet. Will you write one now or You know, if it um you know, probably like a lot of people, there's a little bit of denial too. Like, is this really going to happen to both of us at the same time in the next few months? It's it's an it's uh, it's very sobering to get just this very small taste of what I imagine my seriously ill patients must be thinking about all the time. That was UCSF's head of palliative care, Steve Pantelat, speaking with our health correspondent, April Domboski. And now we turn to Dr. Matt Willis. He's the public health officer for Marin County. Today, we're in the third day of the shelter at home order. It's the right time for this bold act. So when COVID-19 started getting increasingly serious, he started updating community members daily on the county's YouTube site. This is the biggest one-day increase we've seen. And then about a month ago, there was this update. I'm here to share a more personal experience from home. On Friday, I started feeling feverish with a worsening cough. I was referred to our drive-through COVID-19 testing facility. And today I was diagnosed with COVID-19. Dr. Willis has stayed home, isolated from his wife and three kids. And he's been keeping this audio diary. Matt Willis, March 30th. I'm at home now um, on day nine of my quarantine for COVID-19. My symptoms have not improved all that much. In fact, the last couple of days, slightly worse in terms of the respiratory symptoms. I'm relatively healthy and, and doing pretty well, but I can imagine just from my experience over the last nine days that if I were um, more frail or older, it may not go as well. Matt Willis, March 31st. I'm alone in our room and haven't touched my wife or kids. I really spent any real time together in 10 days, even though we're in the same house. Physically, I'm most surprised uh, by how long this bug has lasted. I get slightly out of breath when I walk. I think, like a lot of people, I'm working on being patient and giving this the time it needs to run its course without doing too much damage. Matt Willis, April 3rd. I'm seeing my bedroom walls still now for the 14th straight day. Seeing outside the windows here, my son's playing on the trampoline and doing tricks, um, which is a highlight for the day. You know, I haven't needed to be hospitalized. I prefer to be at home. And even as a physician, not knowing the steps I need to be taking at this point to, you know, to prevent that from occurring in my case is humbling. You know, there is no treatment. And so just resting and, and waiting is hard and a little bit scary when, you know, when I see 
colleagues who have ended up on ventilators. Matt Willis, April 15th. I'm seeing a lot more today than I have in the past three weeks. Um, finally transitioned out of isolation. Um, the biggest change is that I'm seeing my family at close range, you know, less than six feet and without masks. And we're able to touch and, and share meals and really just be together in the same space. And it's amazing how good just normal feels. I had antibody testing a few days ago that showed a strong signal for the protective long-term antibodies, the IgG antibodies. At least we think that it provides some measure of protection for the next you know, few months, which is good news. As I resume my role in, in helping support our local COVID-19 response. Dr. Matt Willis, Marin County's health officer, sharing his audio diary with us, produced by KQED's Laura Clivens. So there are doctors and nurses in hospitals and clinics, and then there are roughly half a million in-home supportive service workers here in California. Counties pay them to take care of people in their homes, sometimes even their own relatives. Most of them make around minimum wage, and they get only one paid day off a year. Now, as KQED's Sam Harnett tells us, they're asking for help, specifically masks and hazard pay. Carnella Marks takes care of her 71-year-old father-in-law, Albert, who lives with her family. He has advanced dementia from Alzheimer's, along with heart and cholesterol problems. But he was doing much worse before he came to live with them. The doctors basically told us to go make funeral arrangements. Instead, Marks brought him back to her home in Chico and got to work. Since we got him from the hospital, he's been progressing. He's walking with assistance. He's talking more. And he had lost a lot of weight. He's picking his weight back up. Marks has been caring for different people in Butte County since 2016 and for years before that in Louisiana. It's a 24-7 job with her father-in-law now. Albert is mostly incapacitated. She gives him medication, walks him around for exercise, and feeds and bathes him. When I'm trying to change him sometime, if he has made a bowel movement, he'll try to sit down in the midst of me cleaning him. And sometimes he'll put his hand back there. So if I don't catch it in time, that's more cleaning I got to do. The coronavirus outbreak has made this job so much harder. Marx is now constantly wiping Albert's room down with disinfectant that she has to buy herself. Luckily, she says she has some masks left over from the campfire a few years ago. So she's using those. Then she has to make sure her kids, 13-year-old twins, do not bring germs into his room. On top of all this, Mark says she's not getting extra pay for all the extra work. We're not getting the additional hours for the additional care since the virus outbreak, but we're having to work continuously. Some of her friends in the business say they're being asked not to work because without protective gear, they could bring the virus into clients' homes. The United Domestic Workers Union represents 117,000 workers in 21 counties. It's trying to get unemployment insurance guaranteed permanently for these workers, who are getting it temporarily because of the federal coronavirus bill. It's also pushing for counties to increase pay, add sick time, and hire extra staff to fill in. Mark says not a lot of people want to do this job for minimum wage. Like I said, you working with a person with dementia, you may find yourself with 
stuff on you, you know, body fluids or whatever. And a lot of people don't want to work with that. With the union, Marx has been negotiating with Butte County for over five years to get a modest pay raise. To get by, Marx and her husband work additional jobs. On every weekday between midnight and 2 a.m., they clean a local community center for $125 a week. My body in the morning sometimes tells me don't get out the bed. But I have to keep going. You know, I, I have to. I love what I do. I love helping people. To keep helping people right now, she says, she just needs a little help herself. For the California Report, I'm Sam Harnett. Governor Newsom recently had a Zoom call with in-home supportive service workers, including Carnella. And he's now shipping them masks. No word yet on their request for increased pay. So in the midst of this crisis, which has been so hard for everybody, we've been asking you to send us your stories about how you're finding joy during these tough times. So we're standing outside our house on the street, waiting for... The 8 p.m. howl. The howling for... Uh, healthcare workers. <laughs> yeah, healthcare workers, and it's just the howl. It's become like a nightly thing where everybody steps outside right at 8 o'clock and lets a good howl go. You can kind of hear it start now. And we found it super cathartic. The release is very nice, and it's, 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 it's great to hear other people in this time of isolation. We gotta contribute. Hi, this is Betty Peters in Forbescown, California, up in the hills, foothills. I went out in the middle of the street last week and I blew rainbow bubbles for about an hour. Everybody that went by, walking or biking or anything, laughed and smiled and said, I love it, I love it. Every day I try to find something positive to do to make somebody else smile, to put positive energy out. Hey, this is Maya from Oakland, California, and the thing that's bringing me joy right now is turkey hunting. Um, It's really incredible to be able to get outside and be away from everything and be totally, totally focused on the moment that I'm in instead of being focused on all the craziness that's going on in the world right now. Um, So that's what's bringing me joy, and I don't know what I'm going to do when the season ends in May, but I will figure it out then. Hi, my name is Marceline Tarian, and I live in the Opera Plaza Complex in San Francisco, where we have about 450 residential units in three high-rise towers. We're just a couple of blocks away from the San Francisco Opera and Davies Symphony Hall, so there are quite a few musicians here. A few weeks ago, a small group of residents started up a group that we call Cabin Fever to lead residents in singing from our balconies. We've done America the Beautiful... I will survive over the rainbow. And in homage to Beach Blanket Babylon, San Francisco, open your golden gate. Our aim is to lift people's spirits during these hard times. There are some residents who can't leave their apartments at all, and we hope that we bring them a little bit of joy. 
What about you? What are you doing to find joy right now? Leave us a voicemail at 415-636-9801. That's 415-636-9801. And we might play it on our show. And that's the California Report magazine for this week. Our show is a production of KQED Public Radio in San Francisco. Our senior editor is Victoria Maleon, and our team also includes Amanda Font, Asala Sanapur, Rob Spate, Katie McMurrin, and Ariella Markowitz. I'm Sasha Koka. Thank you so much for listening. This is the California Report magazine. Your state, your stories. Support for the California Report comes from Eric and Wendy Schmidt whose Fund for Strategic Innovation supports transformative ideas that benefit humanity while protecting the natural world, recognizing through science the interdependence of all living systems. The James Irvine Foundation, committed to a California where all low-income workers have the power to advance economically. Learn more at irvine.org. And the California Healthcare Foundation, standing with all Californians as we address the coronavirus emergency together on the web at chcf.org. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support.